Hey, Trent Vineyard, how are you? You doing good? Well, it's great to be back. I was here about 18 months ago, and uh, I must say it's fantastic to see things have, uh, have literally expanded, and, um, and we're just thrilled to be, thrilled to be back here. Uh, huge fans of, uh, of John and Deb, and uh, just feel a real, a real connection. Um, we spend a lot of our time traveling. My wife, Valerie, is here with me tonight. Uh, just wave and say hi, and if you could do a pirouette, that'd be awesome. Uh, <clears throat> give Valerie a welcome. We, uh, I was joking about the pirouette. Um, but we, uh, we do, last year we were away about 300 nights. This, this year we've slashed it about to 250. And uh, the calling on, on, on our lives is just to come alongside um, just some magnificent uh, kind of generals of the faith like your uh, pastors here. And uh, I, I got to say, it's just an unspeakable privilege uh, to do that, particularly when you know a bit of our story. I think I told, I, I don't know what we're going to share tonight. I may know that what we're going to share, but whether I get into any of our story, we're both first generation Christians. Um, so if you are, uh, if you're here and you go, I don't know about all this stuff, um, you know, we, in Australia, we call them tire kickers. You know, if you're just kicking the tires, you, you're amongst friends. Um, it's only the second time I've been here, and, uh, and we just want you to know that you are totally welcome uh, toward the end of the service um, in about three and a half hours' time. I've got a fair bit to say. Um, I love the nervous laughter. Uh, he's joking, isn't he? Um, I just want to pray a prayer at the end for any of those here that are just, you're seeking, you've got a whole bunch of questions, and you think, how does this, how does this all kind of work for me? Um, it's a brilliant place to be, actually. I think the, 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 the best part of that is just to be authentic about it and say, you know, I haven't got it all together, but, and I, I, there's a whole lot I don't know. That's kind of what happened to me 35, uh, just a little, maybe 36 years ago, which it, honestly, it does seem a bit like yesterday. Um, so anyway, we're delighted to be here, excited to have the privilege of opening God's Word with you. Uh, maybe before I do that, uh, let me give a bit of a, an intro to the family, just while you get uh, a bit used to the Aussie lingo, the Aussie language. And uh, I don't speak English, I do speak Australian. And uh, uh, first of all, our little, we're going to skip our kids. I, I hear that grandkids uh, are the blessing you get for not killing your own children along the way. And uh, if I knew that grandkids would be so good, I would have skipped having kids all together and just went straight to the grand. This is our little granddaughter, uh, Aubrey Harper. And uh, those wings are real, I want to tell you. She is an angel. And, uh, and then this is Frederick and Montague, Freddie and Monty. And uh, they, they're outstanding little fellas, uh, three-year-old. and Grandkids will make you do crazy stuff. I used to walk past dudes in, in kind of superhero outfits uh, who wanted money for me to take a photo with them. Not anymore. Not anymore. They're my best buddies. And uh, I met Batman the other day in Mexico City. And uh, my little grandson was impressed with that. And uh, especially impressed that I buzz light year. I'm now on the Christmas card list for him. Um, frankly, they're the, they're the least problematic things that grandkids will make you do. Um, we, we, had a, we had a car, um, a little uh, VW Eos, a little convertible number, John. It was my midlife crisis about five years ago. But the, the back seat, there's sort of nothing. They say it's four seats, but actually it's kind of two and a half seats. If you haven't got any, any legs, it's really great. And so two small 
to fit a car seat for the kids. So, of course, I said to Valerie, I said, we need to go get something a bit bigger. And I had something in mind. I said, I'll just head down to the car shop and see what's there. And I saw one car in the showroom and obviously, like the salesman, saw my look and I really thought it was pretty special. He came over and he was my best friend instantly. and said, why don't you take it for a spin? And I said, well, look, I've got to pick my wife up soon. It's a bit of a problem, you know. And he said, take it overnight. I went, ooh, I may not bring it back. He said, we'll sort that out. And so we did. He said, in fact, just before I left, he said, take it for a spin through the National Park near where we live. And, uh, and, and I thought, that'd be cool. And so picked my wife up, and uh, it's getting by now about dusk. And uh, started through the National Park, trees on either side and kind of, you know, the, 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 the headlights kind of lighting up the, the various, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a boy racer in this car, you know. And then out of the, out of the, the bushes, this grey flash, kangaroo cleaned up the front of the car. I, uh, I don't even own the thing at this point in time. And so I, I took the car back the next day and I said, hi guys, how you doing? Good news and bad news. Good news, love the car. Good news, love the car. Bad news, not quite in the same state that you gave it to me yesterday. I'm just glad it wasn't one of those kangaroos on steroids. They they will clean you up big time, right? Um, (laughs) That kangaroo came out like stealth. And at the end of that story, as some of you might want to know, I, I, love, I wanted the black one with the black wheels. Guys, it was Schmick. Valerie wanted the white one. Guess which one we got? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I nearly signed on the black one. And the salesman came in and he, he said, stop. And I said, dude, you're a salesman. I'm about to buy a car. He said, no, no. He said, I was talking to the boss. And he said, uh, we would love you to have the white one in brackets, the one you just trashed. Smelling something was on here. I said, how much do you want us to have the white one? He said, $8,000 discount. We'd love you to have the white one. I said, you put them there black wheels on that white car. You got yourself a deal. I call it my kangaroo discount, right? (laughs) The kangaroo came and cleaned up the car. It came out like stealth. It got sorted out at the repair shop. No No big damage. The truth is, there is an enemy to your soul. And he'll come out like stealth. And he wants to steal the very things that are going to give you joy and help you to move forward. In fact, there's a particular verse in the, in the new bit in the Bible, in John chapter 10, verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus came, sorry, the devil comes to steal, that's the word stealth, right? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus come, comes to give you life and life more abundantly. Um, he loves stealing stuff. And I want to talk to you about one of those things tonight that for many of the church, many of us in the church, I think he's really done a good job at hoodwinking and stealing from us uh, the full gamut of what Jesus Christ has won for us. Come to me, come with me, to me, with me, come with me to the book of Hebrews I think you're going to get a few verses up on the screen, which will make it a little bit easy. Otherwise, just listen up. Um, Hebrews chapter 14 and verse 16. Here's what we read. It says, Let us then approach, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. In another version, it says, Come boldly. Think about this. This is the king of every king. Let 
the author of Hebrews here is exhorting us, encouraging us, hey, chill out. You can actually approach God's throne, the big fella, with confidence and boldness. And it goes on to say, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I don't know what you think about God or what you've heard, but let me just square one thing away. He, he's, he is, he's there to help you. He's an entirely good God. And he knows exactly where you're at. And, uh, and that's why in Jesus, once you've squared things away with your soul, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we get on, but, but you, can, you can approach his throne with absolute boldness and confidence. It just, uh, we've got one of our kids that I didn't show you. Um, we've got three kids. Three kids, that's right, isn't it? Three kids. Um, 33, 31, 29. Boom, I got it right. <laughs> it changes. It's unfair on dads. It's just like you get it right and then, it, it, then, then it's different. But sorry, I got it right today. So, so a daughter, Leah, and uh, she's got a, she's little Aubrey's mum, uh, and, uh, and then Ryan, who's our son, who's father of, uh, uh, with, uh, along with Bindi, his wife, father of uh, uh, Freddie and Monty, and then Elise, who lives in LA. Um, but Ryan, who's, who's like, I don't know what it is in centimetres. I, I know most of the centimetres, but length does me. So he's about six foot three. He's a big lump of a lad. But he hasn't always been that big. And his mother said, amen. Um, imagine if he, as a young child, came to me and, and, and would approach me kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, like almost, Dad, Daddy, can I, can I have some food? It's like, how would that make me feel? If my son, my own flesh and blood, felt like he had to beg just for the basics. Imagine, I mean, my attitude is have whatever you like, chips, chocolates, soft drink, just don't tell your mother, right? <laughs> and I think we can laugh about that, but in some ways we treat God a bit like that. Oh God, can I please have a job? God, can you, still, can you help me make me feel better? Can you fix my marriage? And, and, and it, it's, a, it's a, a wrong concept in many ways of how lavishly God wants to bless you, his kids. When we get that right. I've found over the years, and I've been doing this for a fair chunk of time, I think about 35 years in Christian ministry, um, most problems that people have stem back to the view that they have of God. They stem back to the idea that maybe somehow God's mad at him, somehow God is not a good God, that he's got an agenda. Um, and, and when you approach God like that, then it's going to mess you up. And, and honestly, even the, the word this generation, the word Father God is somewhat problematic. I'm not wanting to change it. It's in the Bible. But, but sometimes the, 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 the Father God idea gets put through the filter of your concept of what fa your, a father was in your, in your world. And for some people, that's, that has been nothing but pain. And so, and so getting a bit of a rewiring, and again, this, this, in essence, my, my, my message tonight, the title, if you're looking for one, is Forgotten Favor. Because I just think there's a dimension of God 
that we, that, we, that we forget about. And I think, frankly, the enemy, the devil of your soul, um, he, actually, he actually, it suits him real good for you to have a warped view of who God actually is. So come back to the text here. And again, it says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? That we might obtain, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, now, Often we smush those together, mercy and grace. They're kind of similar, they're kind of related, but I want to just split them apart for a moment. They, there's an and between them. They're not the same word. They're actually different words, and frankly, they're different truths, they're different concepts. And when you understand this, it makes a whole lot of sense in the breadth of the context of what we're talking about tonight. First of all, it says that we may receive mercy. You see, Mercy is God's kind of solution that you don't get the bad things that you and I deserve. So mercy squares away the things that I deserve that I don't get as a result of what Jesus has already done. (coughs) Grace, on the other hand, means that you get the good things you didn't deserve. So so I hopefully got that distinction. Just real simple. Mercy is that you don't get the bad things that were coming to you that you deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is that you get all the good things that you didn't deserve. And so understanding, if you get that, just that, 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 that two-part kind of concept, it's going to help us as we unpack a few things just moving forward. In, in the book of 2 Corinthians, one of Paul's writings to a church at a place called Corinth, funny enough, it was actually originally a letter. He's writing them a letter, and uh, here's what it says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, God made him, it's a capital H, so it's Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let, let, let me just square away a few God words here. Righteousness. It simply means that all is right with your soul where God's concerned. All is thumbs up. Heaven's smiling from the east to the west over you. So let's just unpack that for a minute real quick, just a, 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 consistent with our theme. It says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's mercy. He took our sins so that we didn't get the bad things that were coming to us that we deserve. But then it doesn't stop there. It actually says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the grace of God. That's the good part that we didn't deserve, but God throws it at us anyway, in a good way. You're getting the point. We're gonna, I'm gonna unpack a number of these kind of thoughts. In fact, this concept of mercy and grace runs right through not only the New Testament, I've unpacked a few thoughts there from, uh, from the New Testament, but right in the, in the riches of the old part of the book, the Old Testament, um, a book that I don't suggest uh, for a leisurely Saturday afternoon read, the book of Leviticus. Um, in, fact, in fact, let me help you understand this. Let me get two guys, uh, I chatted them briefly, Israel and Dan. Quickly, you come right now, jump up on the platform, give them a hand as they come. <clears throat> Israel, you're standing right there, Dan, on this side of me. 
Okay, I, I, I like to kind of use illustrations because it'll help you to get a, a clear picture of what we're talking about. Um, I, I do various illustrations. I've got one that I do as angels. Uh, sorry, that's not today, Israel. That's, uh, bah, bah, you got the short straw. Today, you are bull one and bull two, and that's no bull, right? Bull one and bull two. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, like I mentioned, um, Leviticus chapter four, uh, it actually talks about... Um, let, me, let me read you just a, a little, no, let me just tell you. So you, you, you can check it out. You can check it out for yourself to see whether I'm, I'm fibbing or not. Leviticus chapter four, it, it actually says it in the heading of most Bibles. It's the sin offering. You always wanted to be one of those, didn't you? Hey, the sin offering. Are, are you married? No. Oh, okay. All right. So, so, so the sin offering was a bull, a bull without spot or blemish. And ladies, I think you'd agree, we have here a bull without spot or blemish. Good teeth, good abs, come on. Don't say I'll never do anything for you, Israel. In Leviticus chapter one, we have the burnt offering. Not much better, really, is it? Not much better. And they're two distinct things. At a first quick read, it might seem the same. So let me unpack it for you. The sin offering, here's what it was. The sin offering was when the priest came to the bull without spot or blemish, right here. And, and the priest would lay hands on the bull and the sin of all the nation, and there was a lot of them, like not just the nation, but a lot of the sin, would come onto the bull and the bull would be, you know, would be burnt. Not, not a good ending. I'm sorry. Sorry about that, Israel. And, and so that's the mercy of God. So the, sin, the, the bull copped it and not the people. You're following so far. The bird offering, as distinct, almost opposite to that, was all, you're single? You're married. Okay. You, oh, oh, okay. That good answer. Good answer. Because, in fact, there was, either way, you were gone there. So that was a good answer. Good answer. So, so the bird offering was again, I won't say ladies, lady, whoever you are, lucky girl, <laughs> bull without spot or blemish right here. And, and as the priest laid hands on the bull, the purity of the bull came on him and on the people. So come, come, come close, come close. So, so here we have the sin offering, Leviticus 4, where, where the sin came on the bull, he was killed, that was the mercy. Here we have the burnt offering was where the purity or the unblemished nature of the bull came back on the priest and the people, that's grace. That was in the old covenant. That was in the old bit of the book. Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross, became both our sin offering, handling our sin, and that's mercy, and our burnt offering, the giving us the good things we did not deserve, that's our burnt offering. Jesus Christ accomplished both of those things together. And so when you connect with Jesus, you connect with the thing you didn't you, the, the, the stuff you would have got but you don't get because of what Jesus done and the stuff you didn't deserve that you do get because of what Jesus done, Jesus Christ is both our mercy and our grace. Give our balls a hand as they go back. <laughs> and 
And, and oftentimes, our revelation or understanding of God stops at mercy. So it's, a, it's somehow kind of a meal ticket to heaven. We're not going to get the, the, the bad stuff. Jesus died for us, and thank God for that. But it's only half of the story. This, this narrative runs right through Scripture, and there are really considerable implications to that. If you feel like that, that this is about you, you are going to approach God with a sense of, man, I am so not worthy. And guess what? You're absolutely right. If you understand it, let me be really transparent with you right now. Because of my background, the mercy of God was a big deal. Again, I think I shared with this a little bit with you, for you, with you last time. Um, but particularly for those new folk, um, like I said, Valerie and I are both first-generation Christians. Um, Valerie was a flight attendant for many years with Qantas and, and uh, was married as a younger girl. <clears throat> um, the gentleman she was married at, with uh, to a long time ago walked out with someone else. She didn't know where he was for a bunch of time. And so she started with a limp. And, and for me... Um, I, I was sexually abused by a 14-year-old, uh, sorry, as a 14-year-old by a male who was much older than that. And so that started my life with a limp. And I'm like, at 14, you're kind of trying to work out some stuff. And so my solution was not to tell anyone, but to try and prove my, my heterosexuality. Hurt a lot of people in the process. Hopefully that's okay to be a bit candid like that. So that's, that's the start of my journey. So, so when I think about the, the temptation is if you've been forgiven much, it's like, I'm just, I'm just glad to be here. I'm just glad to be walking. I'm just glad to have, have God just think I'm kind of okay. And so the danger is to see your current state in light of your past rather than your current state in the full light of Christ's revelation of your future. He's got an amazing future for you. And if, and if, and if you're like, eh, stopping at mercy, that's only half the picture. And, and for many people, we live under the cloak of our past and we never break through into the full blessing that God has for us. We're never, we're never fully able to put on that, that, that robe of identity as a true son or a daughter of the Most High God. Make sense? And, and so, and so I, I'm, I'm on a bit, of a bit of a crusade, I guess, just to try and help um, fantastic people like all of us to grip both of these handles, that, that it is mercy. You can come boldly before the throne of grace in order to, to, to obtain mercy, that you don't get all the bad things you deserve. But it doesn't stop there. God also has given you oceans of grace which are all of the fantastic things that you don't deserve, you didn't earn, but they're coming your way. So don't restrict God to half of that story. So he rescues us always from in order to rescue us to. Colossians, again, another letter by Paul to the church at Colossae. Um, it's on page 770 in my Bible anyway. And here's what it says. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his own dear son. Here's the great news. God knew that we'd forget. God knew that we'd be prone just to kind of favor the mercy side of things. Um, 
one of the verses that often is shared around the, the, the communion table, the Lord's table, call it what you will, uh, is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it, it says, take it, do this in remembrance of me. And then the cup afterwards, take it as often as you drink it in remembrance. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why did he do that? And why did he center it around a meal? Because he knew we would be prone to forget the full extent of what the cross actually accomplished for us. I want to read, and for those of you who've been on this path for a little while, the, the danger with this one is that, yeah, I've heard that. Let, let me just drill into it a little bit differently. In, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Now, now what that says, that's, that's just great news for all of us. It's, it, it, it says that your salvation, and like I said, in a little while, I'm going to pray for a bunch of people here tonight who would say, Michael, you know what? Frankly, my, my, heart's, my heart's not right. Like, there's a distance between me and God right now, and I don't want, to, I don't want it to stay that way. Like I said, you, you're totally in the right place. There's no fingers pointing at you. There's no judgment in this house. This house, the carpet's not red, but it could be. Like, like seriously, there's, there's a red carpet of God's grace that's rolling right under your chair right now. And, uh, and we, just, we just love, and I know the heart of the pastors here, just so love when people even, even start to take some baby steps toward getting to know this magnificent God of the universe who's absolutely crazy about you. And so, and so I'm going I'm to pray for you just in a little while. Um, but, but, but note the order here. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not, you might seem pedantic, but it's not through faith you've been saved. Sorry, by, sorry, by faith you've been saved through grace. You say, what the heck's the difference? Here's the difference. The subject there is grace, not faith. So, so this is the grace part is God's gift. The faith part could be excused for being, well, that's my part. So, so if we flipped it over, if it was by faith, it'd be like, well, I, I wish I had your faith. How many have ever heard that said? I wish I had your faith. Well, that's, they're seeing it the wrong way around. It's by God's absolute unmerited, you don't deserve it, kind of oceans of his grace. And we simply accept that even with a mustard seed of faith. Let me give you an instance of this. There's a, a woman in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, she, she had a real issue. And it was an issue that was, was more than a physical issue because it meant sociologically it was a big deal for her. She had a, like a bleeding problem for many, many years. And, uh, and so like I said, that doesn't just give you an embarrassing situation as a woman or a physical issue where she would have been totally be de depleted, but the law of the day meant she shouldn't have been with, with people. <clears throat> so not only did it isolate her medically and physically, but it also uh, isolated her socially. Well, she heard that Jesus was coming to town and she, you know, <clears throat> can't keep a good woman down. And she said, I just know. I just know, she must have heard about Jesus. I just know that if all I do is just touch the hem of his garment, I'm gonna be made well. And now she got with the crowd, like she shouldn't have even been there. But she said, I don't care. I just, I just, I just know. 
Here's what she didn't do. I must have faith. I must have faith. I must have faith. I must have faith. She didn't pump her faith up because it wasn't about her faith. There was enough faith for her to even go out in the crowd. Here's what something deep within her said. If I can just touch him, then something's going to come out of him into me. And so often, whether it's healing, there's a dude by the name of A.B. Simpson, quite a great, famous guy. In, <clears throat> I hadn't heard of him either, but as I've read up on him, he's a pretty, pretty heavy dude. But here's his story. He's a Canadian kind of evangelist dude. He was, uh, I checked into that. He, was, uh, he, was, he became a convert under a guy named Guinness. And I thought, oh, that's got my interest right there. You know, <laughs> wasn't the same guy. But anyway, uh, that's a whole other story in of itself, which we wouldn't have time for tonight. But um, this guy, A.B. Simpson, he, he just depleted himself. He, he went the length and breadth of Canada just uh, you know, speaking of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, ended up an absolute physical wreck. And, uh, and, so, and cried out to God, God, heal me. I want to do good stuff. I want to preach your gospel. And it seemed like nothing happened. And he read this verse one day, and this, this might help someone here tonight, particularly with chronic illness or a situation that has not been shifting for you. Um, he, he actually, it, it actually says, let me, let me get this right. Um, in, in Matthew 8, he was reading this one day, nothing's happening. He said, he read Jesus himself, and the word himself went bang in his, in his, in his mind. Just, just jumped off the page, as it can happen from time to time. Jesus himself, and he realized, huh, I've been focusing on my faith rather than his grace. Someone needs to hear that tonight, that in the midst of your financial challenge right now, in the midst of your marriage, in the, particularly say in physical healing, that, that you've been focusing on your faith, feeling like, well, I just must not have enough faith but actually Jesus himself in fact I'm just gonna I got a, a little bit more to share but I just I just feel right now just to just to cut into interrupt myself <laughs> and, and and if you if you if you need a physical healing from Jesus I I just right now I'm interrupting my sermon because I believe God is here by his Holy Spirit you say, do I need to be a church member? No, 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 no. He loves you just as you are. If you need a physical healing, there's at least a couple of people here tonight and you've got quite devastating diagnoses. And I'm here from Australia with a funny accent to say, I believe Jesus Christ wants to bring health and wholeness to your body. And so I'm not, I'm not gonna get you to stand on your chair or twirl around or anything like that like I did my wife. If, 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 if that's you and you say, Michael, thanks for this. I really need this right now. And I just got a sense that there's a whole other side to the deal. I just thought it was about me going to heaven, that, that Jesus is offering you. This is part of the offering of his grace. So wherever you are, from the front to the back, right across, you say, Michael, I need a healing touch from Jesus tonight. I, I need to be healed, whether it's something in, in perception-wise major or it might be a headache that's driving you balmy tonight. If that's you, lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you right across the house. If that's you, I, I'm going to believe for the Spirit of Almighty God to come and meet you right where you're at. Keep your hand raised. We're a family here. 
big one, <laughs> big one tonight. We've all been in the marathon today and uh, beaten our best times. But uh, if, so it's not just me who's praying is what I'm saying. There's people around you right now that are going to be praying for you. Now, now here's, what, here's what the Bible says. Don't do this. Don't. No, no, just. It, it, this is God's grace. This is his delight. You see, when, when Jesus took your sin upon the cross, he was both mercy and grace. He, he actually he died for your sin, but he also died for your sickness as well. He died for your, your financial situation. He died for your marriage. He died for, for relationships. So one more time, just stick your hand in the air right now. Those around them, just put your hand toward them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I, I release right now the healing touch of heaven. Father, we thank you that the covenant that, that we agree to, that you've already performed as you took our sin and sickness upon that cross, Father, we simply receive that right now. Thank you for your grace and your kindness. Lord, I thank you even now that you're healing backs all over this place. Those with chronic back pain, Lord, sometimes makes them so stiff they can hardly get out of bed. Someone else says a, a kidney condition that the Holy Spirit is just hovering over, bringing healing in Jesus' name. The other thought that, that I had right then is someone, God's healing broken hearts. It's not a physical thing, but man, it has physical symptoms as at times you feel racked with grief on the inside that you never knew was possible. Someone else, there's, there's, there's some bones that are being healed, some bones and joints that are being healed in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Holy Spirit, Lord, I just thank you that you're just touching every single person with a physical or emotional need. This is not something we have to muster up. It's not something we've got to call down fire from heaven. God, we simply need to receive what you've already done for us. We give you the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let me just, let me land this right now. In Hebrews chapter 12, a little further on to where we were earlier, the scripture says, looking unto Jesus. This is the deal, friends. It's not looking unto your faith. It's not, certainly not looking unto your sin, looking unto your past, looking unto your sickness. It's looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, as we look to his face, he looks after our faith. This woman, as she looked to Jesus, uh, his face and kindness, he attributed that as faith. She wasn't some spiritual giant. She'd been isolated from people for a long, long time. So let me give you three thoughts, and then I want to pray for those people, and then I'll get uh, Deb and one of the other team to join us as we just let God do what he wants to do. Is that okay for the rest of the service? <clears throat> for me, I mentioned that I'd had that experience at 14. Where, where that landed me, and I know I did share this last time, and again, so bear with me those that were here last time, particularly for new folk. Again, I just want to be a little candid to, there's a punchline here that I think is really important because sometimes we make it so complex. So the story goes that as I 
tried to prove my manhood and so forth, um, I'd been going out with a young lady. I was 18 years of age, studying commerce law at university, and, and uh, we fell pregnant, and uh, her and I. And, uh, and we were going to get married, so I dropped out of university at the time, had three jobs. The relationship fell terribly apart. She married someone else who was a friend of their family, a little bit older uh, than I was, and... Um, and, and the baby was born on my birthday, kind of to add insult to injury a little bit. Um, but I never saw the child. They had on the birth certificate, father unknown. But we knew who it was. It wasn't a, a secret. But they did that so that I wouldn't have any rights to the child. Um, I, I, I can remember going and trying to see the child and got turned back at the nurse's station. And to be honest, I, I'm not in any way painting me as an angel. If I were her mum and dad, I would have said, get, get the heck away from him. Honestly, I was, I was a rat bag. And, uh, but after doing that, I remember going out into the street. I bought a, a dozen roses and I threw them down in a trash can. I was walking alongside the edge of the road. remember the trucks flashing by. And I hate to admit it, honestly, but I, I could have done something really stupid that day. So that's who's bringing the word tonight. He said, what happened? Jesus happened. Jesus happened. Life went on. I, 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 I went to a church different church to what I'd been brought up in, a traditional church, not really knowing Jesus, and went to, you know, a kind of happy, clappy church with bright music and that kind of stuff. And I remember hearing the gospel presented clearly. It's like, it's not about me. It's actually about what Jesus did, not about what I do. Sort of the, the religion that I was in, it was a lot about what you did. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to go to church, you know, you've got to do all, a whole lot of stuff. And I just learned for the first time, it's like scales came off my eyes. It's like, what? Who did, why, did, why, was this told, why was I told this? this is, Jesus just wants me to accept what he's done for me. He's done the work. So I don't have to do the work. I receive what he's already done. Um, <clears throat> met my beautiful wife and, uh, at the church that I had just quickly settled into. Kind of felt like I, I'd come home. And uh, we got married and started having kids. And, and then I was with, as, uh, as, as John said earlier on, with Brian Houston for the first 12 years. And then we took our, our, over our own church. And it was about a year into that. And I, 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 I gave people the opportunity to make a connection with Jesus, like what I'm going to do just in a, in a moment here. Again, not embarrass anyone, but I simply got people to lift their hands so I knew who I was praying for. And, uh, and this particular night, there's just a couple of people raised their hand and all was good. And I was out in the foyer afterwards. We prayed for them and it was wonderful. And then in the foyer of our church, a young lady came up to me and, uh, and she, I recognized, she said, can I talk to you for a minute? I recognized her to be one of the ones that had raised their hand. And I said, absolutely, pastored a new Christian. In the middle of our foyer, a young 18-year-old girl looked at me in the eyes and said, I'm your daughter. Very first time I'd ever laid eyes on her. And, uh, and those words just rang in my heart. Just like my, my daddy's heart, like I'm just a dude trying to get it together with a broken background, right? They, my heart did cartwheels. Like my, my heart really came out of my chest. It's like, what? And I said, I'm so pleased to meet you. Can I give you a hug? Then I was hugging my daughter in the foyer of the church that I was leading. I sat down on a couch and grabbed her hands and was looking into her eyes and she was looking into mine and my executive pastor walked past and went, are you okay? (laughs) Here's the point. Totally uncomplicated. I'm your daughter. Made my daddy's heart do cartwheels. Here's my thought. If that's the case, how much more? 
with all of the questions you've got, with all of the arguments that you have, all of the things you've read. Just getting real simple. Try this on for size. God, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. How much more does his heart do cartwheels from the east to the west because a son or a daughter that was a part has come on home? He loves you with a love that is hard to fathom. Hard to fathom. Let me give you three quick thoughts and then I'm gonna pray for everyone here that would say, Michael, honestly, I'm distant from God. I don't wanna stay that way, but can you just pray a prayer for me? Firstly, as we read there before, you think, what's, what, have, what have I got to do? What can, I, what can I do? Just see his face. See the kindness on the face of God. See the kindness that, and the desire to want to bless you. That his favor and kindness and grace and blessing is part of this whole deal. Number two, sense his grace. Sense his grace on you. It's not all about feely, touchy-feely, but, but just when you just pause from it and you, and you see God for who He is, it's impossible not to sense the grace of God on your life. And finally, here's something practical you can do. Search His Word. See His face. Sense His grace. And search His Word. And, and when you search His Word, you, you'll see some amazing things. Um, for example, in 1 John, because a lot of people get hung up on, you know, do I love God enough? Let me, let me give you this, and this will help you. In 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. So, so your love for him is a response to your understanding of how much, how crazy he is about you. Not something you've got to, in a religious way, sort of pump up. I've got to love God more. How, how much is enough to love God? Is it like, are you pounds or kilos? I can't remember. Is it kilos here? Pounds, pounds. Is 20 pounds of love for God enough? You say, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a super duper Christian. 100 pounds of love is what I got. Hey, I got a ton of love for God. Where, where do you get off? See, it's not about how much you love God measurably. It's getting an understanding of how much He loves you. 